The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for the facts that we just sang about. They are facts, they are truths, but they are life-changing, life-giving realities for us. We thank you and we praise you for them. By your blood, you have, you have paid for our sin, Jesus. And that is all by the will of the Father, such that we can be called sons and daughters, children of his. You're moved off of his guilt. You made us yours. And now you're in the process of making us like you. Your children transformed, grown up, matured into what you've always made us to be, image bearers of you. Thank you for that. We praise you for that. And then we ask you this morning as we Dive into a passage that's going to ex- expose a little bit of what that looks like, what that transforming, what that growing looks like, what it means to be like you. Lord, would you help us to face this and face it honestly and do a work in us that grows us up? I don't know where and how this will hit everybody, but you do. and You know what you have here for your people, and so please, Lord, speak. Spirit of God, would you run through this room and have your way here in our minds and hearts to grow us all up. Those who know you, Lord, would you, would you mature us? Those here who, who perhaps don't know you, will you call? Save and sanctify. That's our prayer this morning. Use this passage towards that end. And we say thank you for your assurance that you will grow us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of us actually have been a part of the following, but the rest of us at least have all seen it on TV. The bailiff says, raise your right hand and respond to me. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Swearing in a witness, putting him under oath or her under oath before they give testimony in court. Why do we do that? Because we all know that people in the world lie, like a rug, especially when the stakes are high. Not everybody all the time, but all of us some of the time, especially when the stakes are high. Not, not because it's, it's good or right or we want to, we're not trying to encourage it, and it creates all kinds of problems that it happens, but we all have to acknowledge that deceit is common, and we have to manage that reality. In in this particular case, by administering an oath and thereby incentivizing truthfulness and disincentivizing, if that's a word, untruthfulness. We put somebody under an oath, and we make it clear that, hey, you can lie to your neighbor and you can lie to the news reporter, but if you lie right now, there are going to be consequences. By force of law, with threat of punishment, we compel 
truthfulness. That's the only way we can be sure to get it, or at least somewhat likely to get it. It would be nice if people were just truthful by nature. That's our common reality right now in this world. And that very closely follows the ancient backdrop of today's passage in Matthew chapter 5. We've been following along with Jesus as he teaches through this long sermon that we've come to call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He began with the Beatitudes displaying the basic characteristics of the people of God, what Christians are like, and then he turned to the body of this sermon to explain how Christians live. It's what we are, the Beatitudes, and how we walk out that Christian life, what what it looks like. As he moved to the main body of the sermon, then he began to unpack particularly what righteousness looks like, how we are to walk in this world with a righteousness that is superior to that of the scribes and Pharisees in our hearts and actually with our lives as we live God's standards here in this world. And to show us what that means, Jesus has been clarifying some of the commands of the Old Testament, explaining what he meant when he gave them and how we were supposed to have heard them and how we're supposed to live them out. Last week we looked at divorce, and this week now the fourth section of this body, this part of the body, where you're going to bring up oaths, sworn promises, and really in that truth-telling. It's going to unpack for us what it looks like to walk in truth especially when it gets hard. How do we do that? Not by rigorously doubling down on the punishment behind an oath. Not by trying harder, but in fact by believing. And even believing strongly. We talked about this some last week's sermon. Believing strongly the things we believe. Believing the gospel of truth by which God sets us free to be truth speakers ourselves. That's what we're going to look at this morning, Matthew 5. Let me read the passage and then draw two observations from it. This is 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Matthew 5. And draw two observations from that passage. Here's the first. God calls us to be trustworthy truth speakers even as he gives us laws to manage deceit. God calls us to be trustworthy truth speakers even as he gives us laws to manage deceit. Verse 33 begins with a familiar introduction as Jesus brings up something else, yet again, that his listeners have heard but needs to be clarified. But this statement doesn't actually directly connect to any one passage in the law of Moses. Rather, it's about a lot of passages there where where God, through Moses, addressed something or another about sworn oaths 
Leviticus 19.12 is a good example. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You can hear there at the end the warning. I am the Lord. That's like the or else section. That's an example, but there are many like it. And therefore, then, to, to this degree, how they'd heard that, that's accurate. God did, in fact, say that when you invoke God's name as a supporting element of your promise, of your oath, by, by kind of placing yourself accountable to God, kind of placing yourself under his hand, if you will, inviting him to punish you if you break your word, when you do that, then do what you said. Don't go back on that. Don't, don't swear falsely. Give what you said you'd give. Tell the truth like you said you would. Don't, don't go back on your word when you swear an oath in God's name. So that's what many passages say, and to the degree that that's what they heard, that's right. But here's the problem. And you can hear the problem in how I rephrase this now with kind of like a stilted emphasis. So listen to how I say this, and you'll hear the problem. You shall not swear by my name, falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn by my name. When you have sworn an oath invoking God, boy, you'd better be super, super sure that you do exactly what you said. Because in that situation, God will judge you if you don't. That was how they'd heard that. You can hear my emphasis there. It had the effect of drawing a line. Here's a line right here. When you swear something, swear it in the name of God. In the name of God. When you cross into that space right there, then you better be careful. But drawing a line has the effect of creating two sides. There's this side. And then there's the other side. And when you're not in this area, when you're down here, well, you know, all bets are off. Up here, watch out. Down here, below the line, hmm. And of course, then there's a gray area right here as you get closer to the line, closer to the line, closer to the line. When exactly did you cross the line? I'm, I'm not really totally sure. So in our world, we might say that we have oaths in court, and then we've got people who say, I swear on my mother's grave. That's not an oath in court, but that sure sounds like a guy who's being more trustworthy than just somebody who's chatting. Kids say, oh, no, no, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. At least I did when I was a kid. That's not just chatting, it's not an oath in court, it's somewhere in the middle. And this creates all kinds of confusion. Back in their day, they would swear by God, and they would also swear by, let's say, heaven. Jesus mentions this. They'd swear by earth, they'd swear by the hair on their head. They'd swear by Jerusalem. All kinds of stuff. This is actually in much literature in that day. If you swore by Jerusalem, then you didn't have to have to keep it. But if you swore towards Jerusalem, that was judged to be swearing in the name of God. Then you must. No kidding. There are volumes written about this, clarifying and parsing out what's, what's a binding oath and what's not, and what's not actually an oath at all, and how, you, how should you respond to this, that, and the other. See what happened there. God is the God of truth. 
And he wants that in his people always. The ninth commandment forbids all false testimony, not just that sworn under an oath to God. You shall not swear falsely, period. The ninth commandment. The laws about oaths were given to manage the untrustworthiness that God knew would happen anyway, given the fallenness of people and the tendency of our hearts to drift. We'd be inclined to be untrustworthy. But we would also all need to know, especially in certain contexts, what's true. How can I trust you? How do I know I can trust you? And so he gave us a system by which we could put people under something that would incentivize truthfulness or else. And in certain contexts it helped, but it also spawned a gigantic game of drawing a line. Helps you a little bit up here, but it also creates a carved out space beneath the line in which you can be less than straightforward. And everybody knows it. And in that context, Jesus says, but I say to you, None of that game is what I meant when I gave the laws about oaths and I forbid false swearing. They were given to you to manage a problem, not condone it. I say to you, don't take an oath at all. You're trying to clarify the line as to where you have to tell the truth and where you don't. Well, I tell you, the line is all the way down here. It's at the floor. It's, the bar is really, really, really low. You swear by heaven, thinking that you, you can get yourself yeah, close, but outside of the realm of God. Heaven's where God lives. You swear by the earth. Well, that's his footstool. Everything. You can't swear an oath. You can't do anything that's not actually under the control and under the dominion of God to whom you are accountable. His hand is over all of life. You can't swear by your head. You can't swear. You can't open your mouth and be not accountable to the one who holds all of us to the standard of his trustworthiness. The bar is here. There is no carved out space beneath it which, with, with, which you can be deceitful. Everything is binding. So just tell the truth. Say what you mean. So follow that. The point's pretty simple. Pretty clear. Spoken a bit extremely, as Jesus often does. We've seen this teaching technique a lot. He told us to leave our animals at the altar while we go off on a two-week journey. He told us to gouge out our eyes when we get a problem with lust. He, he speaks extremely, a common teaching technique, to make a point. Stop using oaths because you're using them to be evasive, to avoid accountability. You're always divinely accountable for your trustworthiness, so speak truthfully. Anything else is evil. Which, as an aside, because there are some religious people who have gone off on this, as an aside, this extreme call to action is here to make a point, but it doesn't literally demand that we refuse all oaths. In chapter 26, we're going to see Jesus himself testify under oath. So being under oath is all right for us. 
O's actually serve a good purpose. It helps society manage the reality of widespread untruthfulness. If others want to put an oath on us, it, it helps them know they can trust us because they are putting penalty. They're incentivizing truthfulness. That's okay. And in that context, actually to refuse the oath might make you look untrustworthy, like you got something to hide, like you don't want any part of that because you know you're being deceitful. So being under an oath is okay for us. That's not what he's getting at. What he's trying to stop is our tendency to use an oath or maybe a promise or maybe a no, you can trust me sort of statement for our benefit, to, to deceive others, to, to make it seem like we're something but we're not. To carve out some space in which we can be untruthful. Now, this whole thing, this, this whole oath thing may hit us a little bit differently because we don't commonly do exactly what they commonly did. But really... Don't get lost in the O's. Notice that the real point is about the truth. The point is about being trustworthy truth speakers at all times, in all places. That's his core point here. So, where do we carve out space? Deliberately, or maybe just kind of instinctively, almost accidentally in your reflex. Where do you carve out space to be less than completely trustworthy truth speakers. That's what he calls us to at all times. So how are you at that? So let yourself go with this a little bit here. Interpersonally. I'm talking about like person to person, dealing with another group of people or an individual, your spouse, parent, child, a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate, is your word your bond? Or are you unpredictable, unreliable, a little flaky? You might call it, I'm a free spirit. But in reality, you can't be dependent on, you can't be trusted because you just blow with the wind and you, you change, you change, you change depending on whatever you feel like in this moment. Never mind what you've already said and what you've already committed to. And the people around you know they really can't trust you. Your words, not your bond. Not faithful to your commitments. Or worse, do you, let's say, embellish the truth. Modify it a little bit, maybe with a little white lie. Because the story's better that way, actually. It's more interesting. I come out looking a little bit better when I do it that, like that, when I tell it with this little bit of slant right here. I cast it in this light, then I get a better outcome. In your discussions, in your arguments, perhaps, do you resist the truth in what others are saying? and what others are accusing you of. Do you change the subject? Well, okay, uh, yeah, but what about you? It's, uh, it's almost always a sure sign that somebody touched on something telling because you change it and you point it back. Do you do that? Blame shift, because you'd prefer to hide what, what they're getting at, what they're pointing at. Do, do you tend to operate with just a little bit of not quite right 
I think sometimes we do this a little bit more in our professional worlds and in our, our personal worlds with our loved ones, but sometimes I think people in the professional world, world can kind of feel like that's kind of how the world works. You kind of shade things. You, you color it in a certain way. Everybody knows that, so that's what I do. I mean, I can not quite tell the truth to the news reporter. The things that I put online or repost online, if they're not exactly accurate, I didn't double-check them, I didn't screen out the bias in them, I just throw them out there. They're misleading, but everybody knows that. That's how it all works. If I raise my hand, though, so help me God, then you can trust me. Carved out of space down there, maybe my professional world, interpersonally, where I'm not completely straightforward. Are you honest with your spouse about where the money went? Or how you spent your time? Do your parents know where you actually went after school last week? Does your boss know which parts of the end product were yours and which parts others deserve credit for? Interpersonally, you with others, are you truthful and trustworthy? Keeping in mind, of course, that when we're talking about speaking the truth in love, in love of others, sometimes love of others does indeed mean that not everything needs to always be said in the maximum detail. Sometimes we use discretion or say things politely or say things a little bit less than we could in love of other. What he's talking about here, what we're talking about here, is being misleading about being untrustworthy in love of self. So interpersonally, where are you with that? And does that extend to the parts of your life that I might call the formal parts, that are less about person to person? But You know, when you sign your tax return, you're making a statement that that number actually is the number. Was it? Or did you forget to file Schedule XYZ? Forget to file Schedule XYZ on purpose. When you hand in the research paper with your name on it, you're making a statement that you did the work, not your friend and also not some artificial intelligence app. Your time card turned in says, I worked those hours. Did you? That's less person to person. That's more like you with the systems around you. Now, it's possible that none of that applies to you, that none of those situations are yours, that nope, 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 or I can get myself, actually, I, I'm, I'm good in that category. That one doesn't apply. No, okay, that's certainly possible. I'm just throwing out stuff here that... I. I hope to maybe just jar your memory or maybe give an opportunity for God to say, huh, not that, but that. So, is the Lord in some way or another poking you a little bit right now? For me, the formal contexts are much easier than the interpersonal ones, particularly when somebody's coming at me 
I get defensive. And that's, the, that's when I start to, when I, when I begin to see the red dot on me, I start to move. That's when I start shifting off of the truth. I think that's probably where most of us go. Probably where most of our problems come. When somebody comes at us with an accusation or in some way begins to imply something wrong in us, we start to move. I'd look there first if I was you. But maybe God is in some way going to poke you and say, right there. And if he does, then God's call is one of repentance. Turn from that. And maybe there are some things you need to clear up with some other people. Some things you need to make right in some way. Maybe you've got to refile your taxes, unfortunately. But follow through on that. This is, this is part of how God grows us up into becoming increasingly a person of your word. If you're a Christian, I, know, I don't know everybody here, but I know most of us are Christians. If you're a Christian, you do indeed have this love of the truth and this, this bent towards honesty. It's planted in you. It's part of who you actually are. And it's also the fact that Part of who you actually are is you're still a fallen human being, a sinner. That's, that, we're both. And part of growing up is to face this and to hear it and say, like, yeah, right there, that's where I need something different. Lord, I'm sorry, help me. And as you do that, if, if, you, if you stand still and the red dot settles on you, you kind of begin to feel, I know what's going to happen now. Uh, how do you? Okay. That's okay. Because the gospel's true. You can, you can settle under that and, and receive that conviction because the gospel's true. Christ is the only truly trustworthy person. I, I know that, as I said, most of us are Christians. We've got this instinct in us. We love the truth. We want to be truthful. There's only one of us, though, who, if, if Jesus was sitting here, he'd be the only one who'd say, none of that applies to me. We're all under this in some way. Jesus is the only trustworthy truth speaker who ever walked the earth. And why did he walk the earth? Because he came to take the cross, to take the wrath of God, the or else part of God's punishment, speak the truth or else, that fell on Jesus, Christian. And that's good news. And so you can face that and say, yeah, it fell on Jesus. God judged him for our deception, for our two-faced undependability. All that was judged in Christ. And before him, you now stand clean, righteous, far superior to anything the Pharisees could offer. That's good news. The gospel's true. We stand righteous there while also saying, now, Lord, I want to grow. I want to, I want to increasingly walk out to that righteous truthfulness here in the earth. That's where the next point goes. But before we go there, just pause here for a minute and just imagine. I, I think, okay, so I think, personally for me at least, uh, number one, in, in G, look back at your Bible here. The, the first thing that Jesus addressed, the anger piece, that was hard. The second thing, the lust piece, that was hard. The divorce piece, the unfaithfulness for a lot of us, that was a hard one too. Some of us, it might have been a little bit easier. 
this one to me feels like at first, oh, thank goodness, we're only talking about telling the truth. But then I'm trying to like bring you back into this and say, the bar is pretty low. This is rigorously about being truthful. That's hard too. Maybe not as hard, but it's, it's hard. And then to begin to think about all the world in which people lie like a rug. And all the deception that breeds all the problems and cause, causes all the pain in this world, you kind of say like, yeah. Actually, this one's behind divorce and behind lust and behind anger. It's at the root of all of them, actually. Wouldn't it be nice, here's where my mind then begins to go like, One day, <laughs> nobody's going to have to say, honest, I'm telling the truth, because there won't be anything other than the kingdom of truth will come in fullness, like the water covers the earth, and there will be no more deception, because all of God's people by nature will speak the truth without any guile. That day's coming. So here, here we are, wherever we are, that day's coming. And in the middle here, we want to walk towards that day, becoming increasingly like it. And that's what takes us to the second point. So here's, here's the second observation, and I'm going to put it as a command here to kind of indicate to us that there's something that we have to fight for and fight strongly for here. Set your eyes on God's trustworthy commitment to you. That's what enables similar trustworthiness from you. The fight's in the command. Set your eyes on God's trustworthy commitment to you. That's what enables similar trustworthiness from you. Verse 37, Jesus wraps up the section by giving the positive marching orders. Let what you say be simply yes or no, that's it. Or some translations put it, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Meaning, we've already discussed this, just say what you mean, name what you say, say what you do, do what you say. This is about lived out righteousness, honesty, integrity in our speech, and it's a command from Jesus, so we have to do this. You, you might hear the first part, and this is the part of, of like strongly engaging with you. You might hear the first part and say, like, yeah, I, I do in some ways have some places where I shift off of the truth at least a little bit. Lord, forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. Anyway, moving on. Nope, nope, nope. How do I grow in truthfulness? Lord, this is a command from Jesus. We cannot just move on. 
He's calling us, and this must be direction setting for us, and it would be a sweet thing. Not, not just to think about the kingdom that's coming where there is no more deceit, but it would be a sweet thing, would it not, if we were a church, if you were a person, if we were people that knew some of the kingdom of truth now, that walked in this room, walked amongst these people, and knew what I see is what I'm going to get. What I hear is indeed the case Always. It just is. That's, that's a sweet life. And if people came into that, I, I have actually had, and to your commendation, I have had people say to me, this is an honest place. Or, I've never met a place that is this much about the truth. That's, that's something to commend you for. God's, God's at work here. But there's still places to grow. And it would be nice, would it not, if people always came in and what they always met with us, if they came into our homes and they always met with us was, that, that's a place, those are people, that's a person who not just means what he says and says what he means, who does what she says she's going to do. She's, she's dependable. I can count on her. She, even when it hurts her, when she realizes, oh yeah, I said that, then she follows through and does it. And there's no defensiveness. There's no blame shifting. I, I can say something that's a little bit hard and it will be heard and received, rationally engaged with. They'll listen to accusations and deal with them fairly. I can trust them with money. I, I, these people, that would be a tremendously sweet commendation of God, not of us, of God who makes that happen because everybody knows that's not how the world works. That would be good for us and for the witness of God in the world. So how do we get to there? How do we, how do we become like that, characterized by a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees? We don't get there by trying harder to get there. And we don't get there by putting up one of those neat plaques in our home that says, in this house we tell the truth. I hope nobody has one of those. <laughs> We don't get there by posting the law on our walls. You realize that's what that is? By posting the law on our walls. If you want to put something on the wall, then put, O household, set your eyes on God's trustworthy commitment to you. That's the point. It's always the point. This is the part of the sermon that really, if I wanted to be lazy, I could cut and paste and apply to every single sermon of the last 17 years, right? Because this is the part that is the Christian life. I want to grow, in this case, in being trustworthy and a truth speaker. Well, how do I do that? Well, like always, attend to my heart first. You have to attend to your heart first. Not, not to your words or your actions, attend to your heart first because that's where honesty or dishonesty comes from in the first place. We have to address where it starts, where it comes from because you see there are reasons. There's a, at least one big reason that probably are, are various other sub-reasons. There are reasons that we are prone to sin by sliding away from the truth or, or stepping back from steadfast commitment to what we promised. You think about it for yourself, but I think... In, in every way, it all kind of boils down to this one big reason. I think inevitably, it boils down to self-preservation. 
We are afraid of what will happen to us if the truth comes out. Or we now realize what it will mean for us to fulfill that promise we spoke or follow through on that commitment. It's going to be costly or at least inconvenient. So let me rethink that. I know I said I would, but now I see the cost and I'm wondering if I want to anymore. Maybe I'll change. We're all for the truth when it benefits us, but we shrink back from it when we see some of the cost. And so in self-preservation, we go back on our word, we fail to follow through, we mislead. Our actions or our postures out there are coming from something that's going on in here, self-protecting fear. Pain and embarrassment and loss is strong incentive to flake out, to deceive, to modify the truth. And watch what needs to happen here. Watch what used to happen here. Swearing an oath in God's name was serving to incentivize truthfulness by saying, yes, the truth may hurt you, but this gigantic whack from God as he judges your lying will hurt more. That's how that worked. When you say, so help me God, or he says, I am the Lord. What he means is, the truth may hurt, this will hurt more. That's true. God's judgment will hurt more. Ask Jesus, who went to the cross and bore it for you. And when he went to the cross and bore that for you, he changed something really, really, really important. He changed what all the world is in relation to you and how God acts towards you to move you to trustworthiness, how God operates with you. Look at the glory. Look at this glory of life as a citizen of the kingdom of truth. Life, glorious life as a child of God. He incentivizes truthfulness now. He incentivizes truthfulness now, not with a raised hand threatening but with an open hand outpouring. Get that. Not, I am the Lord, but I am the Lord. There's a huge change that happened there. He addresses the fear of loss that may come with truthfulness, not by a greater fear of a greater pain, but with a greater confidence that overcomes and drives out fear. See this, and if, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're thinking about this, you're kind of evaluating, what do I think about this? Please notice this. This is the real Christian life. This is how Christianity actually works. Not, here's what I want you to do, or else, but here's what I want you to do, and look at me. Look at me and, and how I have got drawn near to forgive and to help and empower and secure the Christian life is very different, perhaps, than what you've heard. So if you're not a Christian or if you're a Christian, please see this. This is so sweet. He says, yes, the truth may hurt. The red dot may settle on you and bring conviction, painful, piercing conviction. Yep. Here, I got it all covered. I've made you an heir of all the earth you inherit the earth and everything in it. It's all for you. 
and then one day an inheritance in heaven. You can't lose so much as to be empty because I'll make you full. I have made myself for you and I have unlocked the, the vast storehouse of all of my provisions and all of my bounty and I am shoveling it at you every day. I am the Lord. That's how he works with you now, Christian. This is so sweet and so good. You can trust me. How can you trust me? Well, look at the cross and at the empty tomb and I, I swear, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always stand with you. I promise you the earth is your inheritance and everything here now and one day the kingdom. And I also promise you that the pure in heart will see me walking right beside you as you bear the pain from the world, the pain that human beings may inflict on you. I walk with you and bless you in abundance. I am the Lord. I'm your God. Look at that. Look at that and strongly embrace it. You've heard that a thousand times. And every time you are tempted to deceive is when that goes out the window. Grab it and bring it back and strongly embrace it. And as you do, then watch this. You behold this God pouring out for you. And something supernaturally by the work of the Spirit of God in you, something in you kind of says like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Isn't he lovely? Isn't he actually all that I need? What can man do to me? Yeah, the truth is that I totally messed that up. can man do to me? Isn't he lovely? Isn't he what I need? Christian, keep refreshing your mind with the truth of this God beholding him, this God and his love for you and its faithful commitment to you. And something marvelous happens. This marvelous God, so faithful and so generous and so good, he begins to win your heart and draw your attention onto him and onto his kingdom and onto his cause. And actually, you kind of forget about yourself. You kind of, the first step of this is, here I am, vulnerable, and God says, I will bless and provide. And the second step of this is that you begin to say like, wow, you are the Lord. And I forgot my cause, and yours holds me. That's a work of the Spirit of God in you, and it comes as you fill your mind. You set your heart and your mind on things above. So Christian, take your eyes and put them there. Beginning of Colossians 3, if you want to go look there. Beginning of Colossians 3, set your mind, your eyes, your heart on things above. Where Christ sits reigning now and from where with him your life will come. That's the fight. The fight is not tell the truth. The fight is behold. Such a marvelous God, so faithful, so generous, and so good. You find yourself wanting him, wooed by him, following him, committed to him and to his cause as you await the coming of the fullness of the kingdom of truth. Walking that out now, in part. Set your eyes on God's trustworthy commitment 
to you. That's how similar trustworthiness comes from you. Let me pray. Father, help. We sing the song, Behold Him. As we say that, we're, we're actually kind of singing the words to each other, saying, Behold Him, brother. Behold Him, sister. And now we ask you, Please help us behold you. Open our eyes and show yourself to us. Woo us to yourself, please. Reassure us with your fullness is for us. And grow us then now in this case in trustworthy truth speaking, citizens of the kingdom of truth. Thank you, Lord, for your commitment to do this. Please do it. For Christ's honor and for good, I ask. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.